Welcome to the Live Your Dream Podcast, episode 16, How a Mom of Four Turned Her Diet Soda Addiction into a $100 million company. I'm your host, Lena Lee. Before I start the show today, I want to let you know that I'm working on a new episode where I'll be answering your questions. So if you have any questions or challenges in your career or about pursuing your dreams, please send me a message on my website. You can click on today's show notes on your podcast app to go to my website or go to selinalee.co. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E.co. I've also put together a guide to the three steps to finding true career fulfillment, which is the answer to a question I get the most. How do the successful people I've met figure out what they want to do with their lives? If you're interested, you can also download it on today's show notes on your podcast app or on my website, selinalee.co forward slash episode 16. On today's episode, I am so excited to share with you the conversation I've had with Kara Golden, the founder and CEO of Hint, well known for its flagship product, Hint Water. Kara started the company with a simple idea to make water that tastes great. After leaving her job at AOL, Kara was overweight, had low energy, and was suffering from adult acne. Even though she changed her diet and worked out a lot, she still had a hard time losing her weight. And then she realized that her addiction to diet soda was a problem. So she quit drinking soda and tried drinking plain water, but she hated how blended tasted. So she began cutting up fruit and throwing it in pitchers of water. And this little experiment not only helped her to continue drinking water, but led to her starting her business. While she was trying to build her company, she was introduced to someone who was pretty senior at Coca-Cola who told her her idea was terrible and then said, sweetie, Americans love sweets. Well, he was obviously wrong. And 14 years later since starting her business, Kara grew into a $100 million company. And what's remarkable is that she also raised four children during this time. What I thought was really interesting about Kara's journey is that she didn't let her circumstances or the situation she was in limit her possibilities or her future. When she was a student at Arizona State University, the kind of companies she may be interested in working for didn't come to recruit the students on campus. Most people in these situations probably would either complain or be upset, but that's not why Kara did. You'll hear about how she worked as a waitress at a Mexican restaurant and then use that as an opportunity to meet many different people, which led to her getting 60 job offers. When I interview guests on my show, I usually ask about their family and about their parents because I believe parents, of course, play a very important role in shaping the future of their children. I think there's no better role model for children than seeing their mother or father pursue their own dreams. Kara talks about how her mother, who was an art teacher, decided to change her career into fashion when she was 45 years old and worked until she was 80 years old in the fashion industry. Seeing how her mother had the courage to pursue her own dreams obviously had a huge impact on Kara becoming an entrepreneur. And now, as a mother of four children herself, Kara teaches her own children how to pursue their dreams by showing them through her own actions. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Kara, I'm so excited to start our conversation. Yay, how are you too. today? Good, how are you? 
I'm great. Um, I'm so happy that you're here. Um, let's start with your childhood. Where were you born and where did you grow up? So I grew up in the U.S. in Arizona and uh, and yeah, I lived there my most of my life. I actually um, moved from uh, from Minneapolis, Minnesota when I was a really little girl and my dad, I think, decided that he didn't want to shovel snow anymore. And um, so moved our family to Arizona. I mean, wow. there were less than 100,000 people in like Phoenix, Scottsdale area at the time. And so I always joke that I'm like an original settler of, of Arizona because <laughs> um, there was nobody there. And, um, and I grew up there and uh, yeah, and then ended up really wanting to, uh, to, pursue, to, to pursue media. And so moved to New York uh, right after college. I went to Arizona State University mm-hmm. and um, and came, moved out here uh, to New York where we are today. And I heard you were a competitive gymnast growing up. Yeah, so I was a competitive gymnast. I uh, always liked gymnastics. I was uh, found that I was never going to be, you know, truly like competitive because I was better at uh, the bars and um, and also the vault were like my two areas. I mean, a lot of strength, upper body strength, mm-hmm. which you can't really tell today. But um, I've heard, heard that you were you thought that you're not naturally good at it, but still you pursued it. I think that shows a lot about what kind of person you are. Yeah, no, it was hard. I mean, it was challenging every single day. Like I would come in and I would, um, I mean, it's interesting because I would like look at like my team members and I would see that some of these girls were like really great at like all around and they, and I just, for me, like I, I just didn't, I wasn't coordinated enough to do like floor. I just, for some reason, but I just became really, really good at the bars and at the vaults. So I really just decided to just go focus on that. And, you know, with that, I also learned that, you know, if you do focus on things that, you know, are challenging to you, but you keep feeling like you're making progress, then you can actually be successful and, um, and I had a lot, a great deal of respect for having teammates that could actually do certain things that I couldn't either. And so I want those people on my team. Um, but it was actually, I was the person that they would throw in when we were doing like the vaults or the, or the, uh, the bars when they needed somebody <laughs> to come in and really like kill it. So that's so great. So did you have a childhood dream when you were growing up? You know, I think I was always an entrepreneur. I was always like trying to do things. And I mean, I remember I was just telling somebody the story the other day. I remember when I was uh, when I was growing up and and watching I we have five kids in my family, but it's almost like two different sets of families. I, I have a sister that's um, 15 years older than me and a brother that's 14 years older than me. Oh, wow. And then my parents took a break and then they had my brother that's three years older than me and my sister that's two years older than me. So you're the youngest. Of I was the five. youngest. Mm-hmm. And so, but I was watching like my older siblings, like having jobs and going to college and doing things, you know, while I was a little girl. And I remember thinking like, wow, I would love to have a job. And so I did a little bit of babysitting, but then I thought, how do I actually bring like, you know, get more people to, and make more money by, you know, babysitting essentially. Mm -hmm. And so I remember setting up like a, like a miniature camp during the summer in my garage (laughs) and, um, and using like a, uh, 
um, paper towel box to like set up like an <laughs> obstacle course and where kids like really loved it. And then I was like, okay, today kids, we're going to like decorate the box. And I would bring a bunch of magazines out and I said, okay, everybody has to cut out like, you know, beach balls. And then like they would be looking through the magazines who could find the beach balls the fastest and then we decorate like the <laughs> paper towels and it was like these parents would come by and I mean I was maybe I don't know 12 13 years old and wow. parents would come by and they'd be like gosh my kids have so much fun with you and it's because I was a kid mm -hmm. right and I would like right. think like that about stuff but I mean that like I never called that like being an entrepreneur I just called that fun yeah. Right. And yeah. so I've always had this mindset that like work can actually be fun. Yeah. And yeah. you can have a passion for what you're doing if you, you know, just think about what you want to do every day. And, you know, there were definitely, you know, times when maybe like some of the projects weren't as successful as the other projects in my little like miniature <laughs> camp. But I was like, oh, okay, that one didn't work out so well, but like, let's do something else. And, and so, um, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, you know, just thinking back on it, but I think like as a kid, I wouldn't have said like, I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. I, I really wanted to be an attorney yeah. and, um, really? and, yeah. And I think my, my brother is, is an attorney today mm -hmm. and, um, my brother is 14 years older than me. So I think like he probably had an influence on me mm -hmm. to, you know, like go and be an attorney. But then when I started like actually taking some law, some classes in law when I was in college, I was like, I don't want to be it. And then I ended up marrying an attorney, which is like, and now he talks about himself as a recovering attorney. He didn't yeah, want to be an attorney. Me too. I just laugh about it that it's like, you know, it's life, yeah. right? Like, so you went to college um, and then um, tell me about that. So did you have an idea about what you wanted to do when you were graduating from college? Well, so I probably started out thinking like, okay, I'll go like pre-law or, you know, large state universities have these crazy, you know, like pre-law, like, right, right. you know, no, it, you know, there's a lot of people that go to law school, obviously, who didn't, didn't take those classes, but we had that opportunity to sort of take some of these classes along the way. And I felt like, um, I liked those classes, but what I really, really liked was the writing courses. And so very quickly, I ended up switching into um, journalism and communications. And I just like, I remember taking a political communications class in particular that really like got me so excited where they were, um, my teacher was talking about like political campaigns and how things like, you know, in like the seven or late sixties when Nixon was running, like people actually saw like that he sweat a lot, like on, mm. you know, the television versus like Kennedy actually seemed like he really had his act together and how like that impact of how he actually communicated, like really, you know, like cost him the election ultimately. Yeah. And I thought like, that is so interesting. Like in any single career, it can just be like so important or it is so important for how you actually communicate. And so I realized really early on that communication can be about writing, but it can actually be about speaking and about how you like, you know, ultimately get your story across, right? right? And I just became like really fascinated about that whole fact. And, you know, that was what was so great about going to Arizona State was that, you know, 
the school was pretty small um, within like a much larger school, but it was like, you know, I was learning mm -hmm. and I thought like that was, that was so cool. So I really, after that thought, like, I want to do something in media and communications. I didn't exactly know what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, but, and then I heard you, um, was, you were working as a waitress at a mm -hmm. restaurant and then you met some people there. Yeah. Well, so basically I was taking a bunch of classes too. I ended up taking an extra semester to graduate because I had a, um, a major in journalism communications and a minor in finance because I really like felt like early on, I didn't really know much about finance. I mean, I tell young entrepreneurs and college students now that I think it's really, really important to figure out if you like, if you're an engineer, for example, and you really just don't understand how to read a balance sheet or yeah. like you should go and take classes while you're, you know, at Stanford on, you know, finance. Like, I think like that is the biggest thing that I did. Nobody told me to do that kind of stuff, but I felt like, you know, it was, those were my hardest classes yeah. because I was not a natural in actually learning those things. But I, you know, like, ended up getting a minor in that and you know I'm really really happy I did and then um it sounds like you're always trying to challenge yourself to do the things that you're not naturally good at totally people are not like that no though, they're right? not they would avoid like it. that yeah they yeah. would avoid it and you know and that's what you know I think just in life I have an overall philosophy too that it's like you should you know always be challenging yourself to you know look at like, I mean, I'm thinking in particular, um, my daughter is applying to schools right now and she's like living in a very liberal community in Northern California where, you know, people kind of think the same, like generally most of the population thinks very much the same. And so she wants to go to a very liberal school and, um, and I'm like, okay, but on the other side of things, like if you want to really, she wants to be a writer as well. And I said, if you really want to be a strong, like writer, I mean, you know how to think about like being liberal really, really well. Why don't you go to some place that actually makes you feel uncomfortable? Because yeah. whenever you're outside of your comfort zone, right. you're going to learn, yeah. right? And you may see that there's like, you know, a little bit of, you know, truth and, and how these people think about. And so I'm always like in everything I do ever since I was a little kid, I, you know, I didn't sort of like, you know, not want to be in a class or not want to be in a group or not want to be in a job because I'm like, they're not like me. Instead, I was always like, put me in, put me in coach, right? Like there, I can do this too. And I, you know, felt like, you know, that's where I was going to learn the most about people. So, wow. yeah. So, so anyway, so the waitressing, um, so I was, uh, putting myself, especially I worked, you know, a little bit just for extra money, um, waitressing at this Mexican restaurant in, in Phoenix. And, um, I had actually done a little bit in high school there as well when I needed some extra money and they let me like do hostessing and a little bit of waitressing shifts on, on weekends. And then when I was in college, I, um, it was a little bit of schlep to get over there, but they were like, listen, if you have some extra hours and I was like, just trying to get through some of my finance classes and graduate, they said, sure, you can definitely come and, um, you know, we'll let you work some extra hours. And so, um, I found that there were like these regulars that would always come in there. A lot of these businessmen and, you know, I was just like, 
they would ask me like, oh, you know, you're going to college? And I said, yeah, I'm going to college. Mom's graduated. And, you know, the age old question, like, what are you going to do when you graduate? Right. And I, and I said, I don't know, like what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to like leave Arizona and I'm probably going to go somewhere. But, and they were like, where are you going to go? I'm like, I don't know. Like, where should I go? Should I go to LA? Should I go to San Francisco? Like, where should I go? And, um, you know, I traveled like to, I guess to Los Angeles, but outside of that, I mean, I really hadn't been too much outside of Arizona. And so, um, so the more like I started talking to people, I'd get really excited, like this visual of these cities. And I thought like, wow, like that seems so cool. And, you know, I'd seen movies of like New York City and I thought, oh, wow, that, that'd be really fun. Maybe I should go visit and see what it's like. So this one guy um, that, you know, I'd met, I had no idea really what he did, but he was like, oh, well, if you go to Los Angeles, you should just... Um, you should let me know because I'll set you up with my company for some interviews. And I'm like, what's your company? And this is at a point where I'm like researching different companies. Right. And he's like, oh, I work for Anheuser-Busch. I'm like, really? Like, what do you do for Anheuser-Busch? And I'm thinking like, I mean, at that time, I probably thought like everybody who works for Anheuser-Busch, like sells beer. Right. Like I just, you know, that's what, what that's what you, that's do, what you do. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, I actually put our beer on movie sets. So I'm like, cool. what? Like, how, how did what you, is that? like, what, what do you mean you put it on movies, uh, movie sets? Like you drive a truck and you like deliver it to movie sets. And he said, no, no, no. I make sure that the placement on movie sets is like respecting our brand. And so like, you know, you wouldn't see Budweiser labels in like a scene where there's a crime being done. Uh, and so I was like, really? Like you get paid to do that? <laughs> like that is so crazy. And he's, and he's like, yeah, you know? And I said, wow, like, really? Like, are you guys hiring? I mean, that seems really cool. I could be on movie sets and I, I mean, I would have a gut for that kind of stuff too. And, and he said, yeah, no, I'm happy to hook you up with the, with the, you know, the people there. And so I made a, um, so I made an appointment to go to Los Angeles and then I was like, um, he's like, well, I know people in like Chicago too. If you want to interview, like a friend of mine works for McKinsey and he's going to be in Arizona next week and you should like, you should meet him and we'll come into your restaurant. And so I meet him and I'm like, what's a consultant? Like, that's, you know, interesting. And like, I had no idea. And so, um, and so he was like, yeah, if you come to Chicago, we have this like training program. And I'm like, what's a training program? And I mean, I was just this, like, I was all ears and yeah. very excited about all these opportunities. I mean, it was interesting because ASU, like, never really like they had people come on campus from different companies but I felt like it was all of the accounting companies and the right. like I don't know it just wasn't like the place where they were just you know doing like coming on and recruiting for the type of jobs that I really wanted to work at so I just like I wasn't angry about it I just was like I don't know like I, I just have to figure it out and you know my fallback frankly was I could also like stay waitressing at, at, you know, the Mexican restaurant teepee and, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but I just thought like, I don't know, I'll just keep exploring and figuring it out. So anyway, I went and, um, you may have read this story or heard the story before I ended up, um, 
going to a travel agency back when you know, oh. there was travel agencies oh, and right, I right. and uh, went to a travel agency and said, listen, I really, I need to go from Phoenix to Los Angeles and then to um, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston and New York because I started like feeling I started feeling like there were like all these opportunities if I actually just put something on the calendar to say like I'm coming. And so for the next, um, so basically I, I went and I said, how much would a ticket cost for me to actually go to all of these cities? And, um, you know, for one month, I want to just go and travel. And like, I'd ask friends, I'm like, can I stay at your parents' house? And like, I made sure like I had enough money that I could buy like flowers and a gift for people like when I was <laughs> staying along the way. And, um, and then, um, and then basically I said, can you just call me back and tell me how much a ticket is once you figure this whole thing out? And I wish I remembered exactly how much the ticket was, but it was like $470 for the entire thing. And I was like, what? Like, wow. that is like, are you sure? And then finally I was like, okay, here's my credit card. Mm -hmm. And so I gave her my visa and she booked it. And then I got the tickets and I was like, oh my God, I'm like really going. I mean, this is crazy. Like $470. <laughs> I mean, even though it was, you know, 30, almost 30 years ago now, it was like still like it was cheap, you know, yeah. to do all of, to go to all these places. So, um, so as I started setting up all these meetings, I found like, you know, I get somebody on the phone and they're like, um, well, can you be here on certain dates? And I said, well, I already have my ticket. And then they'd hear my story and they're like, that's so cool. You know? And I was like, yeah, if you know any people like in Boston, I'm going to be there for three days and I've only got one interview set up and they're like, oh gosh, it's like, you're just looking for entry level positions. I have a friend who works there and let me connect you. So anyway, I had like over 90 job interviews. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it was crazy. And then, and what was nuts is like I had, I, it was something, again, I wish I like would have actually written down how many, but I had, it was crazy. It was like 60 job offers. I mean, it oh was my gosh. So how did you pick? It was, it, well, <laughs> it was interesting because I ultimately ended up, I think, I think I interviewed, I interviewed at, um, I always wanted to work at fortune because mm -hmm. I really felt like fine. Like that was like the creme de la creme of like finance magazines. And I wanted to write for fortune. And so I wrote a letter to the editor of fortune magazine, a guy named Marshall Loeb. And I said, I, I'm like coming to New York and I really, really want to, this is like before emails or anything. I really want to work. Wrote him you know, a real letter. You. I wrote him a real letter. And so he's like, sends me back, like he, you know, really probably his assistant writes me a letter back. Thank you so much for your interest. If you're ever in the New York area, let us know. So I'm like, okay, so I'm in New York and I didn't actually have that interview set up yet. And so I just walked into the HR department and this is before like security, wow. right? In the building. And so I walk in and I said, hi, I have this letter from Marshall Loeb. And he said, if I'm ever in the New York area and I'm here. And so I'd love to like meet with him. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, um, and the woman who was at the desk, she was like, oh, well, do you have an appointment? And I said, no, 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 no. But he said, like, if I'm ever in the New York area to like come by and see him. And so I'm here. And she was like, oh, 
hmm, I don't know what to, uh, let me ask my supervisor and see what she says. So, you know, this poor woman, she asked her supervisor, the supervisor comes out and she was like, oh, I think what they meant was that you were supposed to set an appointment and like, let us know. And I was like, oh, really? Well, I'm leaving tomorrow. So if there's any way that you could like get me in there. And she was like, listen, honestly, like you're a, you know, brand new out of school. You're not going to get a job at Fortune magazine, like right out of college. But, um, but, and I said, but is there jobs anywhere in the building? Cause well, I'm here <laughs> right now. And they said, well, there's this job in like circulation and it's an executive assistant in circulation. And, um, I mean, I had no idea what circulation was. I was just like, Oh, like, what do they do? And I mean, she's like explaining it to me and it's like one in one ear and out the other. I had no idea. And I was like, sure. I, you know, I'd love to meet the woman. And so I met this woman, Brooke McMurray, who was my boss and ultimately my ah, boss. So you ended up getting the job. So I ended up getting the job. <laughs> and she was just like, look, what we do is we figure out like the little cards that go in magazines. We actually try and get people to subscribe to magazines. And it was cross title uh, with like, fortune and sports illustrated and time and people and i was like wow those are like all the great magazines like that'd be super fun so i get i go home to phoenix and find out like they call on the phone they don't like send emails they're mm -hmm. like we want to make you this job offer and you know we're not going to pay for you to come to move to new york but you know like we'd love to have you come and um i was like wow, that's really great. And I remember sitting down with my dad and saying like, yeah, I've got all these job offers. He's like, this is so crazy. Like you just like picked up the phone and like went into these companies. And I was like, yeah, it's like, you know, and he really wasn't involved in like the whole process, but he was super proud of me that I just like went and figured it out what I really wanted to ultimately do. And I remember like finally deciding, okay, I'm gonna go and work for time for this woman, Brooke McQuarrie. And then I got really nervous, like two days before I was moving, I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm moving to New York. I don't have an apartment. I like have a little bit of savings. My sister's best friend lived in New York down in like the East Village in like between B and C, which was like not a good area <laughs> at the time at all. And so I'm sleeping on her couch for a few weeks until I got my first paycheck. And, um, I was just like really nervous about the whole thing. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get through it. And, um, and he was like, my dad said, why are you so nervous? And I said, because I'm moving from Arizona to New York and it's a really scary thing. And he said, but you don't have anything. And I'm like, what? And he was like, like, I mean, even when you get an apartment, like what's the worst thing that could happen? Like you get an apartment and it doesn't work out. And then you come back home. It's not like, I mean, it's not yeah. like you have a lot of furniture. It's not like you have maybe a year lease. I mean, there's not that much risk. Right. And in you going. Not much to lose. Yeah, there's not that much to lose. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, like, how much is an airline ticket to go from, you know, New York back to Phoenix one way? And so we like looked it up and I realized it was like $600 just for like that one way and he was like so you know if it's really bad you just come back wow. and that's what yeah. you do <laughs> and so um I was like 
okay, yeah, there's not, like, it's not so scary. And so I went and, and came out and, I mean, it's funny because I remember, I think about that a lot because I mean, when I think about like risk overall, I, or, you know, whenever I fear something, I think like, what is really the risk? And mm -hmm. I think that that's something that, you know, really like, that was the first time I really, really heard somebody sort of spell it out like that. Um, but anyway, so we, yeah, so I, so I, um, take the job at time and I move out here and I was, um, you know, a, a, an executive assistant in circulation initially, mm -hmm. and then very quickly started getting lots of additional experience from, um, from, you know, managing, um, different initiatives and ultimately ended up managing their airline circulation, which was lots wow. of fun. Yeah. And so. then you eventually, um, worked as an executive at AOL and then you left to start Hint Water. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, yeah, so I actually, right after time, I went to CNN, um, for a couple of years and then actually met my husband, um, right before, right when I was leaving time. And, um, and then we moved out to San Francisco and I worked for a little startup that is, um, that was actually Steve Jobs idea, um, that was doing CD-ROM shopping. This is back in the mid nineties and AOL had a, had acquired us. Um, they had invested in us and then acquired us. And then I was asked to run this button called shopping. And so I did that actually for, um, almost seven years. And then, uh, had started my family in, uh, 99 and, um, uh, had another child in 2001 and was pregnant with my third and then decided, I, I think I'm going to like leave and try and get something closer to San Francisco. And that's when I really started looking at like my own health. Like I was trying to, I'd lost the baby weight. I was trying to get in shape and, um, I still had over 50 pounds that I was trying to lose. And so, I ended up, um, you know, going to a bunch of different doctors after telling them like, I run like 45 minutes a day. I'm like, you know, watching what I'm eating. I'm shopping at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. Like I'm doing all the right things, but I still couldn't lose weight. And it wasn't just weight. It was also like the way I felt and like my skin. And there were like lots of things like that. I just really felt like I was kind of, um, you know, not as healthy as I ultimately wanted to be. And so, uh, so finally I, um, you know, looked at everything that I was eating and drinking and diet soda was something that I never imagined was actually the thing that was like really, you know, causing me to not be as healthy as I wanted to be. But I eliminated it primarily because, um, the ingredients, like I didn't understand the ingredients in, right. you know, the product. And so when I did that, just eliminated diet, diet soda, diet Coke in particular for plain water. Um, I was never a water drinker. I should have been, but although I found it boring, I sort of forced myself to drink plain water. I lost 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. Wow. And I thought like, what? This is like <laughs> insane. And, um, and then I really started like realizing that there's this whole like, messaging problem that goes on around health, which is, 
that, you know, most people think that, you know, if a product says diet on it or low fat or, you know, even other words like vitamin and zero, that those are actually better for us when actually there's no scientific research to say that those things are like healthier and better for you. So that for me was like an epiphany. And again, I was a tech executive, a media executive. I wasn't like, a, you know, I mean, I'm a pretty good baker. I wasn't like a, you know, I'm not like a culinary like wizard. And it's like a completely different industry. Totally different. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and my dad had actually, um, you know, growing up in, in his house, um, you know, I, I had, um, he was um, the founder of Healthy Choice. And so, but even though he was like an entrepreneur, he actually did it inside of a large company, ConAgra, well, initially an armor food company and they were acquired by ConAgra. So he was always like kind of thinking of ideas, but being a, a, you know, incubator inside of a large company is very different than what we're doing at Hint where we're actually starting it from scratch and raising money and, you know, actually becoming a company. So that for me was like, um, you know, I really, I really like, I didn't think about it as like, oh, I always, you know, still didn't think, okay, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur or I want to get out of big companies. I, you know, if anything, I was really thinking about like, wow, like tech is really interesting. And I feel like I'm learning a lot. But I also felt like I was often the person in the room who, like, was people wanted me to teach them. Yeah. Right? Like, I was, like, I had grown. I was the youngest vice president, female vice president at AOL. And and that, for me, was, like, I still wanted to learn. So I actually thought, like, do I go to business school? Do I, like, you know, what do I do next? And, And then when I really figured out like how to get myself healthier. I had lost um, over 50 pounds then in like six months. And I thought like, there's this whole world out there again, that is like being marketed to and they don't know they're being marketed to. And if I could actually develop a water product that is like $2 or less, then people's health will change. And we don't have to tell them, beat them over the head, say like, you know, drink this and, and then you're going to get better. Instead, we can just say, try this, like, and see what happens. And I was like, again, so cool. Like I was like excited by this more excited than I was in like any other role that I had been in because people were actually saying to me, wow, it's really helping me. And I, and so I, um, just to back up a little bit, I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water thinking, you know, this just with just a little bit of fruit, it actually makes the water taste better. And then I went to my local Whole Foods and said, how do I actually develop a product that is, um, or could I actually like, do you think there'd be interest in this kind of product? And you know, it was pointed to things like vitamin water, which was, um, you know, really like the hot product at, at that time when I was thinking about starting this. And like most people, and especially the people who were even stocking the shelves of Whole Foods, didn't realize how much sugar was in, you know, a product that's calling itself water. It's right. vitamin water. And I was like, isn't that so crazy? And he's like, wow, you've really taught me something like about, you know, 
the beverage industry in these categories. And I was like, I know I was like, it's a huge epiphany for me. And then all these diet sweeteners too. Like I felt like, again, I wasn't drinking full sugar Coke. I was actually drinking diet, right? And And so thinking that is better for you. And thinking it's better for me. So I really like didn't want to go back to drinking stuff that was diet. Like I had convinced myself that that was actually the culprit of sort of what was going on. And so, um, so really at that point I, you know, made the decision that this is, um, you know, if I don't do this product, like I looked on, I was living in San Francisco. I looked all over San Francisco. I looked in New York. I was traveling, you know, that summer down to Southern California. Like I, I like really looked around at all these stores and I looked in, you know, Korean delis. I looked at, yeah. Like I, I thought like maybe there might be like some, you know, little drink out there that is like, and I really couldn't find it. So I had no idea you know, what I realized today is I had stumbled upon a hole in the market, but I was way ahead of my time because my like realization of like what ultimately diet sweeteners were doing to me and to other people was, I was so far ahead. I mean, like just now, I mean, the company started almost 14 years ago, like four to five years, the last four to five years, people have really started to realize that like, we need to clean up our food and beverage environment. And it was interesting, another sort of like piece of, um, kind of a parallel path piece, a friend of mine who was one of my roommates in college, uh, worked and still works for the Center for Disease Control. And so I was just talking to her on the phone and she had been, um, she had been on the uh, poison control for years, um, uh, group. And then she had gotten moved to this new module called type two diabetes. And, and I was like, Oh, like what is type two diabetes? And she said, Oh, it's really interesting. It's clearly different than type one diabetes, but, um, they're not really sure what causes it. And at that point, 14 years ago, it was 2% of the population had type two diabetes today. It's between 40 and 45% of the population has type two diabetes or pre-diabetes in places like Beijing. 50% of the population under the age of 18 has type 2 diabetes in other areas where, you know, P.S., we've seen huge soda consumption growth because finally the markets have opened up for Coke and Pepsi to frankly go into these markets, Um, like Saudi Arabia, um, where, you know, people don't drink a lot of alcohol, like the the, um, sort of go-to like luxury drink is Coca-Cola. And so they're actually seeing over 50% of the population has type two diabetes or pre-diabetes in Saudi Arabia. Wow. Which is crazy, right? So I, I felt like I would hear the stuff about like sweeteners and again, not just sugar, but also diet sweeteners. And I thought, well, there's a lot of diseases that you know, maybe or maybe not are being caused by these sweeteners. But if I can actually develop a drink for $2 or less, it's just going to help people drink water. They're going to get better. Yeah. I think it's one thing to think that, oh, this product needs to exist because it's better for people's health and then to actually go and and do do it. it, Right. I think this was your first time starting a business. So 
how does she know how what to do? do? I know. And, and <laughs> like, I, what do you do? I mean, I think for me, and, and, and frankly, it hasn't changed too much, you know, even 14 years later and, you know, over hundred million dollar company. It's yeah. like, I still look at, you know, first of all, like I'm still rolling up my sleeves every single day and just really trying to like solve problems. Right. And so the great thing as CEO is I can actually like dig into lots of different things. I mean, I ran the e-commerce team at AOL and, and I actually like when I decided I, I mean, over 40% of our business now is direct to consumer, which Mm -hmm. is really unusual for a beverage company. We still have great relationships with retailers like Target and Costco and some of the others, but um, but we really wanted to start our direct-to-consumer business so that we'd have a relationship with the customer and data and all those kinds of things. Like, if I wouldn't have worked at AOL, I wouldn't have sort of known what to do. So I, you know, decided, like, let me just go and figure out how to set up a really, really basic site. And, you know, I know a little bit of that. code. And I heard uh, the day that you told your husband that you are yeah. going to start this company. You also gave him another news. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, I was actually kind of mad at him because he was like, when I was telling him that this was the company that I wanted to start, he, he was sort of humoring me and said, so what's the name of the company? And I said, Oh, okay. So it's going to be called Wawa. <laughs> and he's like, Oh my God. And he is like, first of all, like I take it a couple of years off to hang out with my, you know, young kids. And, and, uh, he said, so he's a New Yorker and he said, so, you know, there's this little chain in Pennsylvania, not so little really, but there's a chain and it's called Wawa. It's a convenience store chain. And so if you actually like please don't do that name because I'll have to like, he's a lawyer. Right. So he is like, I'll have to deal with like unwinding this whole thing and it'll be a mess. So, um, so I wasn't very happy with him at that moment. And then he was, uh, again, kind of humoring me over, like he was like, just keep talking to me about this idea about the, you know, about the name. And I said, we're giving people hints and it's just a hint of a flavor and, you know, and just, and then I said, hint, that's what we should do. We should call it hint. And he said, uh, four letter word, not going to happen. You're never going to get it registered. And I was like, and by the way, you know, drink water, not sugar. And he was like, huh, like, no way. It's descriptive. It's not going to happen. And I'm like, oh, my God. But like, you know, I'm really angry. And I got to go. I'm going to this, like, co-packing plant tomorrow to actually bottle this product. He's like, you've already, like, figured that out? And I said, yeah. Like, I talked to this woman on the phone in Chicago, and I'm flying out there. And I've got, you know, childcare coverage. And, like, it'd be really great if you came. And he was like, well... You know, I'm busy. I'm like working on something. And I was like, well, it'd be really great if you came because I'm getting like, you know, I feel like really nauseous. And he was like, what do you mean you feel nauseous? And I was like, okay, fine. I'm pregnant. Like, I just didn't know how to tell you this. And like, it's all like, he was like, what? And he was like, you're going to start a beverage company and you have no idea what you're doing. And you're pregnant. Like, how far fourth, along are you? Fourth and, child. Yeah, and I was what? like, well, I'm like, I think I'm about, like, almost 11 weeks. So he's like, you're 11 weeks pregnant? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know, crazy. And he was like, 
oh my god he was like this is crazy he walks out of the room and I was like is he coming back like what's <laughs> what's gonna happen and so he does he, so he ends up coming back and he was like okay fine I'll, I'll come with you um, to Chicago and then we went to Chicago and you saw like the bottles rolling off the line of the initial run we were out there for a couple of days and he really started to see what I saw which was you know, he, he's the son of a doctor and, and he said like, you know, we felt when we left New York and moved to San Francisco, we didn't really know people and not that we were, you know, extremely sick, but we had had, you know, I had had babies and we had to go to new doctors and whatever. Like he felt like in New York, he had this network of doctors that if he needed to call somebody, he could figure it out. Right. When we went to San Francisco, it was like kind of hard. It wasn't as hard for us as maybe it was for other people, but to find really, really good people. Right. And so he felt like, you know, whenever like you're trying to find a great doctor or you go to a doctor and then, you know, you think like, okay, that is like a doctor gives you bad news. Like how many times do people like get bad news and then they just think like, well, maybe it'll just go away. Right. Like you hear these stories of people who have like high cholesterol and then they're just like, um, Oh, it'll get better. Like I feel fine. So it's like fine or whatever. And so he was like, God, if you could just get people to enjoy clean water and good water, but also clean water, like you could actually save like people lots of money and, and you could change health overall. And at that time, I mean, the, the world was talking about, the U S was talking about a national healthcare system. He was like, we wouldn't even be talking about a national healthcare system if people actually like paid attention to what they were going into their body. So he still wasn't like on board with, you know, I didn't even ask him to jump in, but I was like, yeah, that's really important. He was helping me think about things. And so then um, over the next month, I mean, he was like, you know, getting more and more interested in what I was doing. He was also getting interested because I was writing large $50,000, $75,000 checks off our personal bank account. I <laughs> made some money at AOL. And so he was like, oh, my God, like, you can really spend money. Like, I can't believe you're buying $30,000 worth of caps for these <laughs> bottles. Like, this is like crazy. And um, and so um we got, we actually developed the product in six months prior wow. to my son, Justin being born. Yeah. And then like that morning, um, that I was like, we ended up getting the shipment like a couple weeks later than we thought the initial shipment a couple weeks later than we thought. And so, um, that, that came like the day before I was having a planned C-section and um, so the, I wake up the morning, I'm having a planned C-section. And I said to my husband, he's like, what do you want to do this morning? We don't have to be at the hospital till two o'clock. And I said, I really want to deliver the cases to Whole Foods and see if they'll put it on the shelf. Like I would, I would like go in to labor, like really excited that I was like, you know, had gotten the product on the shelf. He's like, you're crazy. Like, this is like on a lot of levels, you're crazy. And so I was like, I know. And we went over to Whole Foods and I, you know, the guy sees me and he's like, oh my God, you're so pregnant. And I was like, I know it's crazy, right? It'd be so great if you put it on the shelf. Like I probably like got a little bit of pity from him that I was like this pregnant. It was so funny. And, uh, and so we left the cases there and then went to the hospital and, um, and, you know, deliver Justin, he's healthy, everything's great. And then the next day I'm in the hospital just relaxing and we get a phone call from, 
this guy at Whole Foods and I'm half asleep and um, my husband answer the, answers the phone and I hear him talking. I'm like, who is it? I'm thinking like a friend or family calling to see how I'm doing. Right, right. And no, so he's like, it's a guy from Whole Foods. And I was like, what's he saying? And he, he's like, he said the product's gone. And I was like, give me the phone. And I'm like, who took the product? Like, I still didn't believe that anybody like had bought it. It was so crazy. And so he, uh, yeah, so it was, it was nuts. And so we actually got out of the hospital that day and I went home and, um, you know, the guy said, we've got to have more cases of hint because like people really want it. And if people don't, if you, I, I can't save your shelf space for you. And I've got a hole in, you know, the shelf because your product is gone. And, you know, I just like, we've got to get it today. So my husband said, uh, I, you know, love it if, or my husband said, I'll just go deliver the cases right now. And, um, and I said, okay, that's great. And he said, I should probably like have a business card or something. I mean, this is a guy who's like a Silicon Valley tech attorney. And he was like, and I, he, I was like, okay. He's like, what should be on the business card? And I said, I don't know, just write hint on there. And he's like, well, I should have like a title or something. Like, what should I be? And I'm, I'm like, I don't know, chief operating officer. I mean, and he was like, yeah, like chief operating officer, <laughs> yeah, like hint, that. <laughs> like that would be great. Yeah. And so he went to FedEx Kinko's and got business cards made up that said chief operating officer. And I'm like, awesome. Like I'm going to rest right now, like while you're going and delivering the cases. And then, you know, the rest was kind of history. I mean, we, you know, we went through like, you know, a lot of pieces where we had to like actually figure out how to produce a shelf stable product product without preservatives in it. Um, you know, we, we never really realized as consumers, like all the games that are played by these large food and beverage companies at store level um, that we were beginning to realize. And like, you know, things like category captains at, at stores that are like the category captains inside, like, you know, some of these large stores like Target, for example, are run by Coke or Pepsi. And so they like, you can have buyers in these stores that make decisions, but they're heavily influenced by Coke or Pepsi because they own so much of the real estate that they actually get a say whether or not your product can, can go in there. And I'm like, what? Like, why should that be allowed kind of thing? And so anyway, it was like we were realizing quite a bit about, you know, what we really didn't know that could actually inhibit us from being able to grow, which was annoying, frustrating, and, and also super challenging and kind of a game. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, sit me in the corner. Like, I'm going to go and, and figure this stuff out. And so my husband was at a point where he had left his job at Netscape. He had actually started another startup. And had sold it off to the Bosch Foundation and he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do next. And I think he like really was like, wow, this is like initially he was like, oh God, she's writing checks off her personal bank account. But then after he saw it, he was like, wow, this is like really disruptive. We could actually change health. It's kind of fun. I like tasting the product. And so so that's really, you know, so he how came we got around. Going. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was lots of fun. I'm sure it wasn't a smooth sailing for you all the time. Um, what were some of your failures and struggles that you had to overcome to get to where you're now? You know, I think, I don't know. It's funny. Like 
what some people, you know, look at as failure, I just look at as challenges, right? Along the way. And I'm a big believer that, you know, when bad things happen to you along the way, and they will, that you just have to look at them as like learning experience that experiences that didn't necessarily like go the way that you wanted them to go, right. but they're going to prepare you yeah. to do things differently. And, you know, and, you know, do things better the next time. And so, I mean, I remember this one story when uh, we got into Starbucks and, you know, it's a long, crazy story, but basically we end up getting into um, 11,000 Starbucks stores in, um, in the U.S. And so we get our product to Starbucks and then, you know, we're in there for a year and a half. We're doing super well yeah. in the stores. And then Starbucks um, reaches out to us to get a new buyer. And they're like, oh, Howard Schultz, like, woke up one day and realized that um, he really wants to put um, products in the cold case that have higher margins, like sandwiches that he can sell for more money. So this is a business decision that's not based on, like, how you guys are performing. And I was like, wow, that's such a bummer. It's like millions of dollars that I counted on in my business plan. I told my board it was like a total bummer. And so um, I had all this product in my warehouse that I had planned, you know, for Starbucks. And so I get this call from Amazon one day and uh Amazon, the buyer said, hey, listen, we're starting this new category um, called grocery. And this was five years ago. And we'd really like for you to be a part of that. And I was like, well, I've got all this product in the warehouse from Starbucks. And actually, he was like, oh, yeah, like I've seen you in Starbucks. And I was thinking, like, does he know that we're not in Starbucks anymore? And so that's and he, he said called. to me, so that's what he called. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I tell people, like, that is such a great example of, you know, these, um, you know, when these opportunities, again, like it was, I, I was on a major high when we got into Starbucks and then when we were out of Starbucks, yeah, like that's a sure. major low. Right? right. But then all of a sudden, like, I'm like, what's going to happen next? Like, and you know, you just have to keep your eyes and ears open about it and keep your chin up and just keep moving more than anything else. And so I think like, that's, that's a great example of that. Yeah. That's really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, always remember that when things are going bad, you know, you have to be open to other great things coming along your way, right? Totally. Yeah. totally. Um, in addition to Hint Water, which also has Hint Sparkling and Hint Kick and Hint Kits, um, you also launched Sunscreen. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I had, um, you know, been, been wearing sunscreen for years and um, probably not as, like, religiously as I should have. And uh, finally, I had some dry patches on my nose, which ended up to be precancer spots, and oh, wow. I had them removed. And then started like thinking to myself and talking to my dermatologist and saying I should really wear sunscreen. And then I went to my local CVS where you know most sunscreens are bought by most consumers. And I was looking around in the sea of like sunscreens, trying to figure out what to um, buy. I didn't like like. Um, mineral-based sunscreens because I felt like the titanium dioxide, like I always itched. I didn't necessarily like how it looked on my skin and it just didn't feel right. And so, um, and so 
I finally like decided that I'd been looking up like some research on sunscreens and found oxybenzone was an ingredient that was in a bunch of sunscreens. I had heard about um, parabens as not being so great, but I didn't hear that much about oxybenzone. And I started asking the question like, why is oxybenzone, it's a UV blocker, why is it even in sunscreens? And so I decided um, I'm gonna like, find sunscreen without oxybenzone in it. It was really, really difficult to find it. And so one day I um, I finally found a sunscreen that didn't have oxybenzone in it and it was like $50 a bottle. Wow. And I thought like, wow, that's a lot of money. And um, you know, the average consumer who wants to just wear sunscreen should be able to wear it without like, you know, spending $50 right. on this product. And so, uh, I just decided one day to just order a bunch of ingredients and see if I could actually create the sunscreen at home. And I had some of our fruit extract from our water laying around and I took a little bit and added it to the sunscreen and thought, oh wow, you know, the grapefruit smells pretty good. And then I had pineapple and then I had pear. And so I put all those, um, you know, together, like not together in the same bottle, but you know, in separate, things and started wearing the sunscreen and I'm like my homemade sunscreen is even better and then a friend of mine who used to work for L'Oreal said do you know that you actually have to um, get FDA approval right. on the sunscreen and yeah. I'm like no but now <laughs> I do and so I filed for FDA approval and then a year later got the FDA approval and then um, and then we sold it online and then got it into Target and it did really well and and so yeah so that was like kind of and that was really frankly you know that we started getting lots of people who were trying the sunscreen. We were in hotels as well. People were trying it in sort of different outlets than we had had the water at. And people would write to us and say, wow, this is like the best sunscreen. And aren't you guys the water company yeah. too? And like, and I was like, wow, like we're, we can be a trusted brand that people are, you know, like looking at to actually find better products. So part of what we're doing this year too is, you know, a big initiative for us is figure out how to, um, you know, look at different categories that are probably could be better and develop products because I think like that's what people are looking for, trusted brands. And unfortunately, a lot of these trusted brands that are out there are not really, you know, people don't have a lot of trust in them because they're, you know, developing talcum powder and they're developing, you know, other things that have ingredients in them that are not so great for people and, and they see their family or others getting sick. And so I feel like it's, it's something that, you know, it was really kind of an accidental, um, you know, decision and, and, you know, the beginning of a platform yeah. overall for, for the brand. So it's I love how say. all the products you've developed, whether that's Hint Water or the sunscreen came from your personal need. Yeah. You know, it, it really reflects like you created products that you wish you had totally that were not available. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's absolutely right. Yeah. So. And then because of that, it, it really shows in the authenticity and, and, you know, the brand and how how it reflects on, on your products that you've developed. So you've had a very successful career. Um, what have you learned about success that you can share with us? 
I think at every single level, you have to be scrappy and have to have the ability to always be curious and roll up your sleeves and not be afraid to sort of like do the exact same job that you were doing when, you know, you were starting the company. But I think, you know, the trick is also being able to um, have the vision to like realize that, that, you know, adding people to your company can actually help you to scale and good good people to the company. But I think it's like, there's a lot of, um, I've thought about this a lot, that a lot of entrepreneurs will come to me and say like, at what point do I, you know, stop pulling stock out of the back room at Whole Foods? Like, and I'm like, probably never, right? Like good, I think great founders always have the scrappiness and the ability to stay scrappy. Right. And and the um, and having the love of like way back in the day, um, you know, that's why you see serial entrepreneurs that just go and do it over and over again. So I think like that's the key thing. Like if that really gets you excited, then I think that that's like really what, you know, true entrepreneurism and ultimately true success really is. Mm -hmm. What is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you're younger? Like what would you want to tell your younger self? That I think like work can be really fun if you find like your passion. Most people think work of, is not fun. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you can do it. And I think there's so many different jobs. I mean, you know, I have four kids now, and I'm really trying to push on them to like, you know, figure out like what do you want to get up and do every day? Like, what do you like? You know, do you like to write? Do you like to? And also just that there's so many different opportunities too, that just because like you love to write, for example, for example, it doesn't mean you need to go work for a magazine. Mm -hmm. Like there's lots of different ways that you can sort of like, you know, lots of different things that you can do as a writer, lots of different things that you can do as like a photographer. So, right, right. yeah. We all know no one succeeds alone and achieves dreams alone. So who helped you to get to where you're now? I think there's so many people. I mean, you know, I look at, I, I think there's, um, you know, there's so many people that I probably even forget along the way because I feel like I just was really, I think the most important thing is being sure that, you know, open yourself up to talking to people along the way. I mean, that guy that I met, you know, at the Mexican food restaurant, right. that, like <laughs> exposed me to this whole concept that there's like product placement people, right? Like right. that's something that is, you know, Really exciting. I think, um, you know, my parents definitely, I mean, I talked a little bit about my dad and sort of having that entrepreneurial spirit, but my mom, like when I was in uh, kindergarten, my mom was an art history major, always knew a lot about art. She um, taught art class in, in school for many, many years and then finally decided what she wanted to do with her life when you know, I was like in kindergarten and spending more time in school was go and be in fashion. And we were like, really? Oh, wow. Like, and she was <laughs> like, yeah, I've always wanted to do it. So she didn't have this fear that that was like something, you know, that she couldn't do. And so we were like, well, how are you going to do it? And she was like, oh, I think it'd be so great if I could like be a buyer at a store. And so, you know, she started at the bottom and she went into management training and then um, she almost became like, 
Um, she worked actually until she was 80 in a department wow. store in Scottsdale and That's she became amazing. this lady like who, <laughs> you know, just like she was always, you know, so nicely dressed and always like into, you know, never went out the door without makeup on or hair done and stuff. And she was like always, um, just really into fashion. I mean, even if like, I mean, she ended up, uh, being like the last probably 10 years in the children's department and she just knew she had four kids or five kids. And so she knew so much about, um, about fashion, like about children and stuff. And so she knew all the designers. And so she almost became like the original personal shopper, like before personal shopping even (laughs) became like a, an actual job. Like my mom, you know, would call people. A lot of them were like my friends or like friends that she knew from, you know, us kids like their parents and stuff and she's like oh there's like I know you really like Ralph Lauren and like there's this collection that came in and we only got a couple of pieces and it's gonna sell out and so they'd be like oh gosh set it to the (laughs) side for me and she's like okay don't worry I would I will don't worry and I don't know it's like she loved what she did and yeah Yeah. and so I saw that passion too and I also saw this like I mean she had no I don't know, maybe she feared it a little bit, but you never saw it in her that changing like from an art history to fashion at age 45 was like strange, right? Like she just went and did it. And I think that must have influenced Gigi, right? Oh, I think, I I think it was huge. I think another big influencer um, that I had in my life, my brother who's 14 years older than me, he is lawyer. And when he was in law school, he'd come home for the summer and he'd paint houses during the summer. (laughs) And so he would tell me to like, you know, go around the block and figure out if there were like different houses in our neighborhood that needed painting. And so that he could like then, you know, go to them and like give his flyer to say like, I paint houses. He never had, he was never aspirational to go and be like a house painter. But basically what he taught me was that, you know, sometimes you have to do things in order to get to the next level or, you know, like set your life up to be how you want it to be. And he was putting himself through college And so, you know, he didn't want to work when he was in college. So he had to make a lot of money during the summer. And um, he also, you know, fixed, um, fixed Volkswagen bugs. He like had them repainted and reupholstered and everything. And then he, he always like sold them for like two to three times what he ended up buying them for. And so he's an entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a medical malpractice attorney (laughs) in Scottsdale, but like I would watch him Mm-hmm. And I would just be bored and I'd sit in the garage with him while he was doing it. And he was like, Kara, can you believe it? Like I sold that car for like three times the amount. And, wow. you know, and I was like, way to go. <laughs> like, I was like so excited about it. Cause I just thought, you know, it was like a game. Right. Yeah. And, but it was also, you know, I saw like the excitement in him. And so there were a lot of people and, yeah. and, and then again, you know, my bosses too, like I just learned a lot. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot about like loving what you do and like being passionate and, you know, and also working hard and showing up and like, you know, and that that is like, you know, when employers like employed me, I always had this idea, like, I'm so lucky that I'm that I have this job, but I'm also like, they're committed to me. 
right? That I'm like, they're giving me this opportunity. There's a lot of trust there as well. So I really felt like that was like something I, I learned along the way as well. Yeah. I think it's amazing what you've achieved um, as a mother of four children. How do you do it all? Like you built a very successful company and you raised yeah. four children, I think, who are all teenagers now. And how is it like working with your husband? Like, how do you, how yeah. do, you do it all? <laughs> so, I mean, I think it really just goes back to loving what I do. Like, I, I mean, it's funny because I get asked that a lot. And I think, like, the key thing that I see about, you know, being a mother and having, you know, kids that are watching their mother work, it's like they, they learn a lot along the way. Like, yeah, you know, my course. kids know about like common stock versus preferred stock. Like wow. at such a, you know, a young age, right? They know about like placement on shelves and lighting and how that impacts it and messaging and, you know, wow. customer acquisition versus loyalty programs. Like they hear things mm -hmm. like along the way. Um, and they teach me a lot about social media and like all of that sort of stuff as well. Um, but, and, and, and other things, like I, I was never exposed to as a kid, like supply chain. Like, mm. I mean, when, when you were like 13 <laughs> years old, did you understand no. what like a head of supply chain did? Like he can actually, my son, Justin, who I was pregnant with when I started Hint, I mean, he can actually articulate wow. like what supply chain is. Um, There's no, no better role model than seeing their mother pursuing her dreams, right? <laughs> totally, um, totally. So, so anyway, I think like, if you're doing something where your kids can actually see that you're, you know, making a difference and making an impact. I mean, I remember um, a mother actually said to me that she had asked one of my kids, um, like, where's your mom traveling to and what's she doing or whatever. And, and, um, and what is, what is she doing? And one of my kids said, um, one of my one of my kids said, uh, "Oh, she's taking on the soda companies." And wow, like, and amazing. so you know, you have a parent that's actually doing something that seems quite impossible, right. and your kids can like see that in you. Then it's like you know, it's aspirational, it's inspirational, like lots of different things, right? Yeah. And then also seeing their parents working together. I mean, it's like it used to be much more common that parents were working together, right, mm -hmm. in small businesses. And yeah. I think then gone are the days that, you know, that that's happening. And so right. I think they see their parents working together and, um, you know, and, and frankly, also raising a family. And it's like, I think it makes our unit mm -hmm. even tighter. Mm -hmm. Like it's something that, you know, we can sort of like, you know, for example, I'm here in New York. My husband is um, not in New York right now um, because he's helping deal with, um, some issues that, you know, uh, uh, applications and interviews for high school. And so, so you're able um, to balance to, yeah, that. Yeah. Totally. Last question. Yeah. What would be your words of advice people who want to pursue their dreams, especially women? Cause I think we still have a long way to go until we can live in the world where women are given equal opportunities. Um, and it's very hard for women now, especially moms to be entrepreneurs. And I think it's amazing what you've achieved being a mother of four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the key thing is like have a great support system in place like I think it's um it's such a key thing to be able to like you know have like a family that is um especially if you're just starting out I mean if if um you know you don't like the fact that I've got 
you know, a husband that's very supportive of what I'm doing. And like, I think I'm, I'm really, really lucky because I have talked to people along the way who, you know, unfortunately marry people that aren't that supportive about, you know, their spouses and, you know, so marry right if you're (laughs) going to get married, you know, and, um, and also, you know, overall, I think that recognize that there are options for people um, to, you know, really do something that is super fun and also, you know, we're a for-profit company, but it's like, it's really, really valuable um, when you have a, you know, people talk about work-life balance. Like, I think it's not just that it's relating to people who have, you know, a family I think it's also related to like if you're not very happy with your job yeah. like I think it's hard to be happy in life and vice versa if you're right. not very happy in life it's hard to like you know not be happy at work too so I think really recognizing that like how do you find that happiness and you know it might not be what your best friend or your neighbor does but it's like for you yeah. and for me I think it's just it's um I found it and then I just wanted to like get up every day and do it mm-hmm. so and you talk a lot about how important it is to know yourself right yeah not a lot of people do totally yeah, yeah. totally so well thank you <laughs> thank so, you so much, much Kara. Awesome. you also have a podcast yes so, with Kara Golden, yeah so, so you can learn more about hint at drinkhint.com <laughs> and then uh also download our podcast at unstoppable with Kara Golden and, um, and also I'm on social media channels, a lot on Twitter at Kara Golden. It's K-A-R-A-G-O-L-D-I-N. Thank so, you so yeah, much, Kara. Thank Thanks for sharing your story. It was so much yeah, fun. it was great. <laughs> if you want to see the show notes for today's episode, just open up your podcast app and click on today's show notes, or you can go to selinalee.co forward slash episode 16. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E dot C-O forward slash episode 16. I've also put together a free guide to the three steps to finding true career fulfillment, and you can also download it on my website. And as I let you know at the beginning of the episode, I'm working on a new episode where I'll be answering your questions. So if you have any questions or challenges in your career or about pursuing your dreams, please send me a message on my website. And please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And while you're at it, I would really appreciate it if you can please write me a review. It really helps me to spread the word and get discovered by new listeners. For questions about my coaching or to reach out to me with any thoughts or questions about my podcast, you can also visit my website at selenalee.co and I look forward to hearing from you. So thank you so much and I'll be back soon with another episode. I hope you have a great week.